1: the brain sends signals to the gut microbes, changes their behavior, uh, their function, and then these metabolites, you know, that, that we know, they probably go back to the brain and reinforce it and create this, this vicious cycle of um, brain-gut microbiome interactions that I personally think underlies chronic depression.
0: everybody, welcome to Health Theory. You're here because you believe that human potential is nearly limitless, but you know that your ability to actually actuate your potential is at least partially based on your physical body. As such, both of us are here to learn, and my obsession is with helping people optimize their minds, and my goal with this show is to introduce you to the people and ideas that will help you do just that. I'm Tom Billiou, co founder of Quest Nutrition and Impact Theory, and today we're joined by Dr. Emron Mayer. He's a UCLA professor, brain gut microbiome expert, gastroenterologist, neuroscientist, and Amazon best selling author of The Mind Gut Connection. In my quest to solve my wife's digestive issues, I came across his book and I was totally blown away and wanted to bring him on to see what more I could learn. So without further ado, Dr. Emeron Mayer. Thank you so much for joining us today. Nice to be on the show. Absolute pleasure to have you here. Um, As I was telling you off camera, sincerely, my journey to help my wife get into a better place um, has been massively impacted by your book, which I think is really incredible. And by way of primer for people, how exactly does the gut influence our overall well being?
1: Well, I mean, writing this book has been a new experience for me. I've been a scientist on studying the communication between the brain and the gut for um, most of my career. The concept is that multiple parts of our body interact with each other, and the brain sits over them like this supercomputer that makes sure the, the interactions are okay. And if everything works in harmony, we also feel good as a as a as a, as a byproduct. So do mm. not, you know, evolution didn't really select that we feel good. It's but but evolution selected all our systems so they work perfectly. And when they work perfectly, you know, we have a sense of well-being. So,
0: so my wife Lisa, um, just about God, almost two and a half years ago now. Uh, started saying, I don't feel well, and then started vomiting like really badly. And so we thought she had the stomach flu and couldn't eat when she first had it. Everything upset her stomach. And by stomach, I mean gut. And then in trying to like figure this all out, we realized that she had lost diversity in her microbiome. And so, okay, how do we rebuild from that? And a very long process, we tried a lot of things, but the one that like when when we were advised to do it just did not seem possible That it could be useful and then i've heard you talk a lot about it was um she was advised not to eat if she was stressed and to to do like almost a meditative eating to breathe in a meditative fashion while she ate why on earth would that matter
1: well i mean the answer to that is is actually fairly simple so when you imagine that the brain and the gut are connected and have always been connected you know um millions of years in evolution this has always been a tight-knit unit that um, if an organism is if a a person is is stressed it will send down signals to the gut it will change a lot of things so this so-called autonomic nervous system can change the transit time the peristaltic activity in different parts of the GI tract in different ways so it's Stress will slow down the stomach, but speed up the intestine. Severe stress can lead to these very powerful contractions, secretion of fluid, secretion of what 's called antimicrobial peptides, mucus. so you have to imagine that when you're stressed, your gut is different, completely different from when you 're not stressed or when you uh, when you 're relaxed so this is not only that affects the gut but it also affects the microbes because it 's their home so um that environment that they live in and they thrive on if that all of a sudden is changed or is chronically changed I mean that's really the main problem i mean if you're stressed you know for five minutes because um you were almost hit by a car you know that that's not a big deal really in terms of that balance but if you're chronically stressed you have a chronically altered uh, composition of, of of your gut so now when you eat something it it doesn't feel right you get symptoms you get bloating you get cramps um, it triggers these reflexes in the gut to you know to for things to move through faster it could result in diarrhea
0: and one thing you've likened it to which i thought was really helpful for somebody that's just sort of starting to wrap their head around this is you said we have facial expressions when we're angry when we're scared And if you think of those states as being something internal that's now represented by the muscles in the face, those same internal states can be represented in a similar fashion by the gut. And that if you get them in a state that is their version of the angry face or the scared face or whatever, um, that they're actually, like you just said, they're producing different metabolites and things like that which can have a pretty profound effect. And that, that image for me of of thinking of my gut states as being as reactive as my facial reactions, and are they as reactive like that, as fast as the face can respond?
1: In my, in my book, I also mentioned this um, these observations by um, by uh, physicians in during war times. You know, when they had somebody had like a fistula there's something stomach, and they could actually see their Intestines moving and blood flow. So they noticed when somebody walked in and that that wounded soldier got upset. Instantaneously, saw changes in the contraction and in the blood flow. So this, um but what I said earlier, you know, if if that happens every once in a while, it's probably not such a big deal. Mm. Um, if if it happens chronically, it will rearrange the whole habitat, and ecological system in in in, in your gut and. So, you know, we've always known that negative emotions are never good for anything, really. So the Buddhist principle is that there's no good, bad emotion (laughs) Um, and so they but they clearly affect your health. I mean, it's not just that you feel bad, you know, it's um, but I would say, you know, it's it's many parts of the body that reacts to emotions like your heart rate. And the difference is the gut is the most complex system that's affected by this and the gut has the microbes. The heart doesn't have that, your, your blood vessels don't have that. Um, any emotions, it's not such, such a new thing that it's a physical representation of, of, of your emotions, just it's, it's like in your face and your muscles. The impact on, on, on the overall organism is much greater because you, know, you have the system sitting there with the trillions of microbes at all little chemical factories, you have your, the, the biggest part of your immune system, the biggest part of your hormonal system, it's all sitting there. And when these signals go down from the gut, it changes the whole interaction. Mm.
0: One thing that I really want people to understand that I was blown away by in your book, and I mean, it's right there in the title, so maybe I shouldn't have been as sort of awestruck by it as I was, but that there's a feedback loop going both directions. So the gut, is, is as you've called it, and I'm sure is, it's called in your field, the forgotten organ, right? So that if you took all the microbiota in your body and condensed it down, um, which we can't even see it, so the fact that once you condense it down, you realize just how big it is, about the size of a liver, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, yeah. which makes it one of the largest organs in your body. Um, if you were to flatten it out, it's bigger than a basketball court. Yeah. So it's this massive sensing organ, which mm-hmm. I never realized, it actually has the ability to taste, though not, it, it's the same receptors that we this, have on our tongue, yeah. it has ability to smell, um, and so it's, it's taking in all these cues that it's reading from the food, and then it's speaking back to the brain, and then the brain is speaking back to it, and that through the millions of years of evolution, it's gotten really good at communicating
1: with us. It's a big system, um, but <clears throat> it's not the one that generates your emotions, it's a it's system that completely takes care of your gut activity and your daily function. So anything that you do within food ingestion, this system can handle. Unless you get stressed or emotionally upset about something, then the big brain interferes with that. A lot of people, when they're stressed, they don't feel it. Women feel it more likely than men do. When there's a change in that gain, in, in that sensitivity, then all of a sudden, patients develop all kinds of symptoms, you know, from fullness, bloating, abdominal distension, um, intolerance of certain food items.
0: Is that why IBS was originally considered a psychosomatic problem?
1: Yes, yeah, so, I mean this, this term psychosomatic, you know, I mean today we, we call it mind body medicine, but the psychosomatic medicine movement was had 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 a wrong basic concept that that all these diseases were brains were brain diseases. now we are, we look at them as you know, the brain-gut microbiome um, uh, disturbances or alterations in, in in the balances. So one of the things, probably, why um, you know many of these stress-related disorders become chronic, because that system that normally keeps things in balance is altered, and accepts a different, a different steady state, a different stability state, and. Once it has this new stability state, it's it's stuck in that and it becomes chronic. And, and so basically,
0: it'll change its set point. So it, if you're first starting to get stressed, it tries to get back to a neutral set point. But if you're always stressed, always stressed, always stressed, that basically becomes a new normal.
1: Absolutely. What is the
0: function of that? So this this terrifies me as somebody who has a wife with microbiome yeah. issues that once you get it out of whack, like it's hard but if you manage to get it out of whack and it's got its new set point, how do you get it built back up? And I read something terrifying, which basically said if you look at us as a species over time, there's this like stair-step declination mm-hmm. of diversity um, in the microbiome. And so if, if you're, know your, let's say your great-grandparents were here, your grandparents were here, your parents were here, but you're here, if in your life you experience a decline, you can get it back up to where you started, but. As far as I can tell from what I've read, nobody thinks you can get it back to where your great grandparents were. Why? I don't yes. understand that. Why can't I just take a probiotic?
1: Yeah, so this is this is a, a big issue right now. You know, so there was a recent paper, starting from this, um, a population that that can do it. So the hot star in, in East Africa and Tanzania, Rift Valley. So these are some of the last remaining hunter-gatherers. I think it's only a couple of hundred left that live that lifestyle and their microbiota, their microbiome diversity has a seasonal variation. So they found that if they, do it, if they test them in summer and winter, and what, what's different in summer and winter with these people is they, they switch from a um, more plant-based diet to a more meat-based diet. Their microbiome changes with these dietary changes. When you look at them at the state when they don't have the high plant intake, um, it looks like ours, almost the same, Whoa. misses the same species and the same um, types of microbes. Then when they go to the, the, the plant-based diet, it regains its diversity. So they still have the ability to go from, from our level back up to the high level. Mm. There's thousands of species that do not, are not that essential and you can lose them. But if you lose one of those keystone species, then the whole system gets altered. So it's, it's possible what happened in Western society in developing countries, that we lost some of these keystone species and so no longer have this ability to, to, uh, to return. Um, I think it's going to be one of the biggest challenges, really, to to, to find
0: that out. If I can't do it through probiotics, could I? And I've actually, seriously, I put a date that if my wife wasn't better by, and thankfully, she's sort of beyond the critical threshold now. But if she hadn't gotten better by X date, I was going to take her somewhere to get a fecal transplant. Mm -hmm. Is that a possibility? Like, is that a way
1: to... At the moment, the answer is, is no. So there's many ongoing studies now, clinical trials with fecal microbial transplants. And uh, so as you know, there's one condition where, where it works perfectly. It's the best, the best treatment in this when all your normal microbes are wiped out. It's uh, um, C. difficile colitis. It's, yeah. um, so you get this, some people get this when they receive antibiotics in the, in, in, in the hospital. So it works really well, but you have to remember that in in that situation the normal microbiome has been wiped out pretty much so you start from scratch all the other conditions where it's been tried like inflammatory bowel disease and um, irritable bowel syndrome and autism spectrum disorder you have an altered microbiome but it it's 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 at another stable state you know it's has assumed another um, ecological stability state and it's it's very difficult to push it away from that there are studies going on where People get repeated courses of antibiotics, mm-hmm. and then fecal microbial transplant, like in in, in autism spectrum disorders, that's been tried. Um, um,
0: and the hypothesis there was that the microbiome is playing a role in autism.
1: Uh, yeah, which is somewhat questionable. I mean, autism starts really in 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 utero. You know, the the abnormal growth of the brain. So, if if anything, I think it's. Potentially the microbiome and the metabolites of the mother that affect the, the, the child's brain development. And um, <clears throat> so that's kind of my theory about this. But a lot of desperate parents are doing these, these transplants themselves. Then our, our diet is clearly another thing, you know. Um, the more plant-based fiber you eat, the greater di- the diversity of your microbiome is. And this is sort of where this whole concept of you know the the plant-based diet comes in. That the metabolites that these microbes produce, the more you feed them what they have evolved for in evolution to break down these complex fiber components of of, of plants, the more you feed them that the, the larger their number will get, and the more the, of these healthy metabolites they will you know they will produce. And it's it's kind of interesting to me. On the one side, from a gut microbial diversity, gut health standpoint, it's um, it would seem very easy to say what's what's the best diet for people. But but then clearly we have others, you know, um, like in IBS, it's like this FODMAP diet, which actually takes out a lot of the the fiber, mm. these oligosaccharides. Um, we have the ketogenic diet, you know, which obviously is wonderful to lose weight and if you have diabetes to, to you know, you know, get, get your hemoglobin A1c down, but, but they're certainly not what the microbes for their health and diversity like. You know? so right. I mean, to sum the whole thing up, I, I think we're beginning now to understand that there are situations where the diversity can oscillate depending on what we eat. Um,
0: let me ask you, what's the role of the gut in depression and anxiety?
1: It's it's very interesting. I mean, there's studies going on, and you know, we would we plan to get involved in this for large-scale studies with a dietary intervention, like a, you know, a Mediterranean-type diet, like in like in 600 people. You know, where you look at the brain and the microbiome before and after that dietary intervention, particularly with a focus on uh, cognitive performance and cognitive decline, and. <clears throat> My guess is that over time, um, there's, there's, there's different influence. Now the ketogenic diet, I, I find, still find that puzzling. You know, they, so a lot of people say, "Oh, it's, when they started this, they completely felt different. The brain mm-hmm. fog was gone." Uh, it's in some ways paradoxical, because it's not the good thing for, for, for your microbes, necessarily, but that's a situation where people report as they immediately felt better or different.
0: So I've used a ketogenic diet very extensively in my own life, and then my wife has used it in her recovery as well. And so um, I'll walk you through what each of us experienced. So my experience is not with a lifting of brain fog or anything like that, but a profound difference in the way that I respond to hunger. So if I'm on a high protein diet, I'm never high carb. I haven't been high carb in more mm-hmm. than 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so my average daily carb intake is probably less than 30 grams, uh, and entirely from vegetables. So. What I see is when I get hungry, if I'm high protein, I have a declination of performance. I'm not able to concentrate. I get slightly irritable. Uh, maybe I get a headache. I certainly don't want to concentrate. Like, if you're going to give me that there's any willpower component to mm-hmm. this, my willpower is way low when I get hungry on a high protein diet because I'm burning glucose. Now, my wife's experience has been the anti inflammatory effects, because she is often self reported that her gut feels swollen. She doesn't know how else to explain it. Mm-hmm. She's like, it just feels swollen. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. As, you know, she eats something and it's going through her system and it just feels irritated and inflamed. Mm-hmm. And when she does a um, ketogenic diet, that is significantly reduced. Mm-hmm. However, she'll still have bouts of what sound like typical IBS symptoms, mm-hmm. right? She'll, um, uh, she'll have diarrhea, she'll have cramping, bloating, pain, like all of it, and be like, what just triggered that? I was doing perfectly for, let's say, four days, and now all of a sudden, eating the same thing, all of a sudden she has like some big episodes. So clearly not a silver bullet for her, but has been a big part of what we do to, to maintain her inflammation levels.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I would say you know, now with with this gut microbiome science, I think there will be a whole revisiting of of dietary recommendations. Uh, even though initially I was a skeptic of the ketogenic diet, but I mean, you have to listen to to, uh, to people. I mean, in some ways it, that tells you more than 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 the mouse experiments. You know, mm. so if, if people feel better, obviously there must be a reason why that is the case. I think nutrition and diet is just entering a phase of of real scientific rigor now which it didn't have in, in the past mm. um and that's largely driven by the interest in the microbes because if you want to understand what the microbes do you know they live off what we eat so it's it's going to be essential to um to, you know, to, uh, to, to, to sort this out. So really fast, going back to
0: depression and anxiety, the, the question that I most want to ask you, why on earth is 95% of the serotonin, which I think of, I mean, you know, SSRIs, right? Selective Serotonin mm-hmm. Reuptake Inhibitor, which is used for depression, which is all about the brain, why is 95% of serotonin stored in the gut? And what does it mean? Because you you say it's stored, but I don't remember you following up on like, what does it mean to be stored versus used? Is 95% used in the gut? Or like, what, what is serotonin's role in all of this?
1: Um, it's, it's a story in, 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 in progress. You know, um, I, mean, I wish I could give you the answer. I, I asked myself the same question. Why, <laughs> why would, you know, evolution design us in a way that that, that molecule that plays such an important role in, in sleep and well-being and pain sensitivity, why, why would it all this be at the gut level? And is it manufactured in
0: the gut and stored in the gut, or manufactured elsewhere and stored in the no, gut?
1: It, no, it is manufactured in the gut, so it's a hormone uh, tryptophan hydroxylase from dietary tryptophan um, that's that's taken up um, by these cells. And interestingly, so we now know, last couple of years has come out, that this enzyme that that converts tryptophan into serotonin is to a large degree under the influence of microbial signals so that the microbes can actually influence how much serotonin that you synthesize, that you produce, um, and ultimately also how much is being released. When they're stimulated by microbial signals or by contractions of the gut or by some food product, the serotonin is being released on the synapse and sends a signal through the vagus nerve into your brain, into... Emotional regulation centers of the brain. So that's probably the ma- the main communication pathway between um, the serotonin, the, the microbes, serotonin signals, and and you know brain function and emotional function. You know, so for example, if you eat a, a diet high in tryptophan, and people have taken tryptophan supplements, mm. which really should be good for you in some ways, because the microbes, if if they see more tryptophan they send more signals to these serotonin cells to produce serotonin. So you would have a very simple antidepressant. Initially think that's, yeah, that's the answer, you know, like there's a a change in gut microbial, enter endocrine cell communication, and that that somehow plays a role in in depression and and, and anxiety. Unfortunately, it's not that, it's not that simple. I think depression probably starts at the brain, some vulnerability, then it becomes manifest during periods of stress or trauma. The brain sends signals to the gut microbes, changes their behavior, uh, their function. And then these metabolites you know, that, that we know, they probably go back to the brain and reinforce it and create this, this vicious cycle of um, brain-gut microbiome interactions that I personally think underlies chronic depression.
0: And I've heard you say that you think meditation may actually play a role in that. Like what's your belief about mechanistically what's going on, like why would meditation help?
1: Our hypothesis was that um, meditation changes the the activity of your uh, autonomic nervous system that signals back to the gut. Um, Clearly if you're in a state of relaxation or mindfulness, Will be less sympathetic or less stress signals mm-hmm. going to the gut that changes the microbes and metabolites, and then that would in some ways you know break that 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 cycle but we did another study with with cognitive behavioral therapy in patients with with irritable bowel syndrome, and as we had anticipated, you know patients do quite well, so about sixty percent response rate on that with this cognitive behavioral therapy. The only thing that we found is, which is interesting, that your gut microbial composition when you start out the therapy, in some ways predicts if you're gonna respond to it or not.
0: Wow, I've never heard that before. So you're saying that you could sequence the microbiome and say either you have a setup that matches people that have gotten a lot of benefit out of this or you haven't. And potentially, do you know what Viome is doing in terms of sequencing?
1: Yeah, actually, I'm, I mean, I should disclose I'm on the scientific advisory board of that company. And if you do that Viome test, it could, and you have suffering from IBS, you could predict, you know, if, if you're going to respond to mm. to what type of therapy, diet or um, mind-based or, um, or, or medications. I mean, that technology and that approach, I think, has has the potential to really break the current paradigm and the the current practice of medicine.
0: Yeah, I'm really intrigued to see what big data is able to pull out of this, especially with that hypothesis that you just put forward, which should be perfectly answered by that. If we can see set states, and then they have predictive abilities in terms of outcomes, then if we can use big data to really work back, what actually is the causative Mm -hmm. rather than just the correlative, um, element of that would be really fascinating. All right, I want to do a segment now called Gut Check. Huh? <laughs> nice and clever. <laughs> and uh, I give us the top, whatever number, two, three things that um, are going on right now either at the individual person level or at a societal level that have massive um, gut health implications that people may or may not be aware of.
1: The food industry has played a big role in um providing us with nutrition that's not good for us. So all the processed foods and the high sugar and high, f- high fat. And <clears throat> um, so there's a, a pending, I mean, an ongoing paradigm shift as well. So many of the, the CEOs of these companies have realized that A, the consumer habits are changing. There's some very visionary um, CEOs of some of these big companies that have in mind the, the, the benefit of of the consumer, not mm. not the benefit of the, of the shareholder. So I think that's a very exciting thing, and the change in the in the in the food that we eat, and the awareness of people, and the response now of the the people that produce these foods. I think that's that's clearly a you know big thing. I think the um, the antibiotic use in terms of a negative example. Um, I think that's still unabated. I think that. Um, you know, you know some pretty dramatic changes will have to, will have to happen for, for, for this to really fundamentally change it in, in OBGYN, and in pediatrics and adult treatment. There's people that recommend antibiotic treatment for IBS, mm. which I personally think is in some ways crazy. In a time where we all know that you know we, we don't want to harm the microbes, so to give repeated doses of antibiotics for which gives you a, a marginal benefit, Mm. transient benefit, um, I, I think is really irresponsible. Well, I mean, I would say the third thing is that there are now a massive effort to see if how the, 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 the microbiome, the, the wisdom that's in that system, how that can be utilized to both for diagnostics, um, but also for personalized medicine. It's conceivable that... Um, Doing that test um, has more predictive value, a diagnostic value than doing your annual physical and your wow. your regular blood test. Potentially, you know, it's um, and at different stages of life. So if you do this on a pregnant mother, you could predict the risk for autism. If you do it in an infant, you could predict um, how this infant later will, you know, if it has a high risk of, of de- developing depression or. Mm. And, you know, th- th- this potential clearly has been recognized by, by people like at, at Viome or Ubiome or um, Day2. So, I mean, there's, there's many players now. Not sure who's going to win that race, but it's, it's it, there's, there's a huge potential. This could revolutionize medicine.
0: Yeah. The So, we've leveraged... Um... Viome very heavily so we happen to know Naveen personally he's been on the show impact theory a couple of times great dude really like him yeah, and a, he's a so he's allowed us to Access the back end and work with some of the people that they have and and the thing that is Has been so terrifying and the thing that I'm pushing him that is the problem. He has to solve is that the massive complexity so for instance What we realized was Lisa has SIBO, but she also has a deficiency in, um, the, uh, the variability, the variety of um, species that she has in her gut. She also has uh, diminished lining of her gut and probably has some gut leak. So it's like, okay, you can't attack them all at once. So there's no one simple solution that's gonna solve everything. And if you took the antibiotics for SIBO, which like you were saying, is the traditional recommendation, mm-hmm. well the problem is now you're gonna exacerbate all the other problems that she mm-hmm. has lower down in the line. So working on these like one at a time, right? Okay, so first we have to address SIBO, and what do you have to do to do that? That's already insanely complicated. To tie this up with um, one thing that I just could not wrap this interview without talking about, it's something you introduced me to, I'd never heard of this before, and while I think you mean it specifically in reference to the brain as an analogy, I think it works for the complexity that I'm talking about, which is the brain connectome. what is the brain connectome? What does it mean? And maybe most interestingly, what is the paradigm that it totally shatters?
1: The brain connectome project is something that's been initiated by the National Institute of Health. Um, and it's it's based on the idea that um, it seems like obvious that every cell in in the brain is connected with each other and that there's There's networks of the brain that are connected with each other, and it's like a massive supercomputer, really, the way it's organized. And um, there are people that do, you know, with fiber tracking and with brain imaging, different modalities of brain imaging, that study this phenomenon. And ultimately, we'll be able to get a much more accurate description of the functions of, of, of our brain, which it's still pretty primitive, the way it is right now, you know. Um, And um, the the impact will be, I mean, clearly there's a race on in understanding the brain and its potential and its role in disease. And so, for example, that whole idea that the brain is, is, it's not just a cognitive machine and an emotional machine, but its primary function probably being the supercomputer that surveys every cell in your body constantly on a millisecond, millisecond timescale and monitors for, Potential threats to its home to the homeostasis of the organism, and then responds you know based on its memory, its experience, um, but but also based on on, on inborn patterns um, to overcome that perturbation. So understanding how the brain does that this regulatory role, I think, will also revolutionize medicine. I mean, it, it's um, as we said earlier, you know, medicine until. I mean even today 95% of medicine does not take the brain into account in, in health and it's crazy. Uh, which is crazy it's the most powerful machine you know in in the well certainly on this planet that you would not take this into account in in your theories of how the body functions is is really amazing to me. Mm. Yeah. But but that is changing. I mean so the the connectome project is one of those areas that is really pushing ahead and and will will establish the the correct role of the brain in, in in you know in our physiology in our health. Mm. I
0: love that notion of of a connectome of being far more interrelated, and I think that's the the thing that was the big breakthrough for me. It's far more interrelated than our metaphors and our analogies. Up to this point would lead us to believe, which is the exact issue that we're having with digestion, right? You've talked about people have historically thought about it as this machine, uh, kind of like a car, and it's like if you take care of it and give it the right fuel, it'll last about 75 years, and you know, with uh, having to address the occasional infection or whatever, but but not understanding the role that communication plays that there's the as you said the bi-directional communication of the brain to the gut the gut to the brain um, that so much of our immune system is housed in the gut right and oh man when i read this in your book i almost flipped out that the reason that so much of our immune system is in our gut is because of it's encountering potentially deadly um, bacteria in the food that we eat. yeah. And I thought, oh my God. like It was one of those, that should be patently obvious, but never made my radar until I read it. And I think what you're working on is is so critically important in this moment. I, because it's affected my life, um, I know just how important. And I, I worry that um, Lisa and I are sort of the, the tip of a spear of what's coming, which is really terrifying. If we don't get a lot more answers, I think there's gonna be an immeasurable amount of suffering and. Um, yeah, so getting some of these answers is, is incredibly important, and, and your book has really been a, a touchstone for that. All right, before I ask my last question, where can these guys find you online?
1: My, my personal website, Um That guides you then to all the other uh, areas.
0: All right, my final question, and this admittedly is meant to be hard because I want to force you into a binary situation where you can only choose one thing. Um, What one thing could people do additively or subtractively, uh, reductively, I guess, to have the biggest impact on their overall health and well-being?
1: Yeah, so with the one thing that makes it difficult, I would, you know, I would probably start with the exercise part, um, but right after that or at the same level the diet part, um, I did not see that answer coming I'll be honest really yeah well the exercise diet part, yes
0: exercise now
1: the exercise part is because you know there's so many studies um, the benefits on cognitive function and um, the slowing the the uh, cognitive decline and um, stress reduction and change, structural change in the brain. So, so I disappointed you with the exercise, but- No, no, it, I
0: love that. Being surprised is the best possible answer. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Dr. Meyer, thank you so much so for coming on. It was on. great. It was a real really pleasure. Guys, if you haven't already discovered him out in the wide world, if you haven't read the book, if you haven't gone to his Facebook page, his website, Instagram page, go check it all out. He's really somebody that is at the absolute forefront of discovering this and what I love about him and what I think is is just so apparent in the talk that we had today is he's not dogmatic. He's really trying to discover the answers. He has a deeply inquisitive mind and something that we didn't get to talk about in the interview, he was meant to take over a chocolate business, uh, which was (laughs) in the family for generations, and he left that because he had a deep, uh, passion for his inquisitiveness around the subjects that we talked about today and that shines through in everything that he does and you get the sense of somebody really trying to discover the truth and that to me is what the show is all about. We are going to succeed or fail based on our ability to really look at a lot of different hypotheses and build a worldview based on that rather than presenting dogma. Um, so just incredibly grateful for you coming on the show today. It was really, really amazing. Guys, dive into his world. I think that the connection between the mind and the gut is just absolutely in- critical, uh, and you've got to figure that, that one out for yourself for sure if you want to be able to optimize your mind and live the best life possible. So thank you guys so much for joining us today, and if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care